Well, good morning, and take your Bibles this morning for Sunday school and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And um, I want to give you some food for thought this morning. Some food for thought. We had a lot of food last night. Um, our, our guitar trio needed a practice session, so I threw some food together last night. And anytime I throw food together, they'll come practice. No problem. And I cooked about 12 quarts of gumbo, about three gallons. And there was nothing but crumbs left when it was all done. Joe made an absolute fool of himself. No, he didn't. I think he only had three bowls. But I think Nabonita was right there with him. They were, they were fighting with elbows trying to get into the pot last night. We had a good time. Um, but I want to give you some food for thought this morning. Just some, just some things that um, I've mentioned it before. I, I like preaching and teaching in series because uh, it's a lot easier to pick subject matters. And, um, so I, I was thinking about what to, what to teach on this morning. When pastor goes out of town, I always tell him, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with Sunday morning and Sunday evening and even Wednesday evening. But boy, I have a hard time doing a Sunday school lesson. Um, so I just, I just pulled some things here together, not that I whipped them together, but some, some thoughts that I have concerning things that really pressing, pressing needs in our Christianity today, in our nation, in our, in our Baptist churches. So I want to share some thoughts with you this morning. Look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we'll begin reading at verse number 8 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Vanity of vanities saith the preacher. All is vanity. Now Solomon has a pretty, he has a pretty bleak outlook right here in this statement. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that here in a moment. And then verse 9, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we don't, we don't have to wonder about you or wonder about how we should conduct ourselves. For you have given us your heart. You have given us the instruction we need. And I just pray, Father, that as your children, we would take the time and make the effort to study your word. Lord, that we might do those things that are right in your sight and pleasing. And we might do those things that are according to thy will and purpose. Thank you for this time together. I pray that you would use this simple outline to encourage us and to help us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was doing some studying recently and came across these scriptures. 
And uh, I like the statement that Solomon made in verse 9. He says, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people. Um, I thank the Lord for our pastor. And I thank the Lord for many, many men in this country. There are some I don't thank him too much for. But if you have a wise pastor, you should love him. You should be loyal to him. And you should avail yourself of his preaching and teaching. Because there aren't many wise pastors left. Uh, so many men today in our, in our Baptist movements here in the country, so many men today have forsaken true doctrine. So many men today are, are, are just uh, not putting in the effort and the time. Uh, there, there, are, there are different organizations you can sign up and four or five so-called big-name preachers uh, in the country submit their outlines. And I know, I know many preachers, I have many preacher friends, and some of them tell me, well, you know, I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to study and put together sermons. So I just, I just get these sermons on, on disc. They come to me. I download them on my computer. They've got an, the outlines right there. And then I just, I just study it and preach that. So by doing that, we have preachers in this country who are, are not allowing God to fill their heart with what he wants them to preach. They're listening to the messages and sermons of a few people. So we have a wise pastor, and I praise the Lord for him. And uh, I encourage all of, all of you uh, to love your pastor and uh, just, just be the best, that, best Christian you can be uh, for the man of God. Now remember, he's only a man. And another one of the problems in America today is people are praising the men of God more than they're praising the God of man. And we need to make sure that we understand he's a man, but he's God's man. He's the man that God has called. He's the man that God has placed here. And you be loyal to him. And you be loyal to your church. And you stand for your church um, in, in, in your life, in your behavior, all kind of things. Don't do anything that would discredit the name of your God. And don't do anything that would discredit the testimony of your church. Uh, that's not in here. That's all for free. So uh, just a little bonus. Vanity, Solomon said. All is vanity. <laughs> Paraphrase what Solomon is actually saying is this. Why even bother? Trying to get a, this, this, this rat race we call life. Why get involved in it? Why, why put yourself out there to, 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 to own big houses and lots of land and big fancy cars and, and all these things? Solomon says they're all vanity. When you die and, and you leave this earth, they all go to somebody else. It's all vanity. It's vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Now, I don't, I don't say that I totally feel the way Solomon felt there. But then again, I didn't have the wisdom of Solomon either. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live apart from Jesus Christ. But I do agree with part of what Solomon is saying, and that is a life spent in pursuit of anything other than God is a wasted life. And it doesn't matter. I'm going to mention it. I, I, I can't remember if it's in this morning or, or next Wednesday's. I think it might be in next Wednesday's message. But uh, the point that, that Jesus in Scripture said, what is a man profit if he gains the, the whole world and yet loses his own soul? So certainly all of us want to have things that will make us comfortable and and we want, to, we want to pursue things that will 
will help us in our care for our family. You know, men, you want to care for your family and you want to provide for your children. You'd like to leave them some type of heritage, uh, some type of inheritance. And, and so you, you work hard for that. And I don't totally disagree with that. But if we do all these things at the, at the, uh, in exchange for living our life in pursuit of, of the Lord, then we've wasted our life. I remind you today uh, of the word of God in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, where Paul states, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Despite all the, the problems in life, despite all of the pressures upon the home, the family, and your finances, despite all of this, you and I can have courage today Courage to live for God. In Romans chapter 8, Paul states in verses 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of the problems that we face, none of the hardships that we face, nothing can stop God from caring about us, nor can they stop God from caring for us. I don't know how many times over the last 31 years in the ministry I've had people come to me and they're, they're, they're crying or they're, they're scared and they're worried. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to get past this. And I always tell them the same thing. God knows what you're going through. He's already provided the answer. You just have to be faithful and wait on the Lord. Sometimes I grow weary of Christian people who fret and worry over these things. After all, it's not like we weren't warned by God that we were going to face these things. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 warns young Timothy... He says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, proud, uh, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, (laughs) without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So we know what we're facing. We're aware of of the fact that all these things will come upon us. Yet despite all these things, we can live with the joy and confidence as God's children. God's children have no need to fret. You know, when when I was three years old or four years old, I didn't get up in the morning, go to the kitchen table and pour a cup of coffee and sit back and say, man, how are we going to make it, Dad? Do I have to get a second job or what? I didn't do that. You know what? I had no, at that age, I had no idea how we got food. I didn't know you had to pay rent. I didn't realize there was a bill attached to the phone. I didn't worry about all those things because I was, I was a child and I had a father who I could trust. And today, we have a father who we can trust. He's God. He sits on the throne. He, has his cat, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he will take care of us. In Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or peril 
or persecution, I'm sorry, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we are more than conquerors today because John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's Satan. God is greater than Satan. He's greater than, than the government. He's greater than all the armies in the world. And because of that, we are conquerors. We are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. From a distance today, it would seem that Christianity is on the ropes. It would seem that we are going down for the count. But as Solomon also stated, the preacher still taught the people knowledge. He still gave good heed. He sought out and set in order many proverbs. So this morning, I want to share these thoughts with you. Uh, after these 31 years in the ministry, I've observed Christians and their behaviors. I've seen many succeed, and I've seen many fail. So allow me to share with you this morning uh, a few points that would, I think, help us in our Christian life and in our homes. So number one this morning, I want to say this. Examine your relationships. Examine your relationships. Now, there are, there are so many relationships we could discuss, but I don't have time to discuss every relationship you could possibly have. But I will discuss with you three today that I believe you need to examine on a daily basis and make sure that that relationship is healthy. First, we need to examine our relationships with God. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, we read, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, the single most important relationship you or I will ever have is our relationship with God the Father. No other relationship should take priority in your life. No, not even your relationship with your spouse. We're going to talk about the relationship with the spouse in just a moment. But even your relationship with your spouse should not, take, uh, should not be placed above your relationship with the Lord. For the Lord is our God and we will have no others before him. But far too many Christians today have a poor relationship with the Lord. Think about it for a moment. How often do we pray? How often do we read our Bibles, and and how often do we meditate upon the Word of God and the person of God? How often do you just sit someplace, a quiet place, and just think about God? about his, his majesty, about his wonder, about his power, about the fact that he loves you, about the fact that he catches every tear you've ever cried, he catches them in, in, in a vial and puts them away and keeps them stored. You know, God cares about us. That's an amazing thing. I think, I think we just too often just glibly, we just glibly say that, oh, God cares about me. But God does care about you. Every, every pain you have, every sorrow you have, every moment of joy, God is he's concerned about every one of them. And not only you, but me and all the people in the world and all of his creation, God loves and cares for all of it. 
So often we fail to remember these things. We fail to contemplate these things. And our relationship with God suffers. Not because we hate God, nor because we're evil. Simply because we forget. I'm forgetful. I'm terrible about forgetting. Uh, I, I, my father and I, when we were when we were working together, we, we, we both have a terrible memory. We forget everything. So one day he went to the store and he bought one of these little binder notebooks. And he, he was so proud. He said, son, we're not going to forget anything anymore. So he put the notebook down. He said, make a list of what we need. And I started making out a list of everything we need. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. We're not going to forget anything anymore. And all of a sudden, mom came over and Gave me my breakfast, a nice plate of food. I closed the book and threw it on the side and ate my breakfast after thanking her, of course. Dad said, we ready? I said, yeah, let's go. So we jumped up, jumped in the truck, took off. We were building a house 40 miles from home. We got to the the lumber store halfway there. We stopped. Dad said, okay, son, where's the list? I said, I forgot it. (laughs) It's at home on the table. We're forgetful. There's an old saying, out of sight, out of mind. And that's how it is with God. We forget. We get, we get so busy with the cares of life that God, which we cannot see, is forgotten over the concerns and cares which we can see. Listen, we should learn to take time each day and examine your relationship with God. Is there something keeping you from fellowshipping with God? Is there something keeping you from obeying God? If there is, then abandon it. Is there something hindering your prayers? If there is, confess it and forsake it. Are you too busy for God? Then change your schedule. Remember, anything that keeps you from God has become a God unto you. So first, examine your relationship with God. Then secondly, this morning... We need, to, we need to let her be, examine our relationships with our spouse. The second most important relationship in your life after God is your spouse. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 23 and 24, we read, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I can think of nothing more beautiful upon the face of the earth than a husband and wife in love. Just think about this for a moment. When a husband and wife love each other as they should, there is joy in their home. When a husband and wife loves each other as they should, their children are happy. I know this is true. I work with children all the time. And I know, I can tell you now, the happiest, the most well-adjusted, the most stable children are those who come from a home where the mother and the father love each other. When a husband and wife love each other as they should, their friends are blessed because it's a happy place to be. Do you want to go visit people who fight? I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to go to dinner and be sitting at the dinner table with my wife and a couple who are arguing across the table, throwing food at each other. Oh, hey, yeah, hello. Oh, really? Oh, we'll be right there. Let's go, honey. 
You don't want to be there. It's no fun. Unless you're a sadist and you love to watch people fight. But the friends are, are blessed. And when a, a husband loves a wife as he should, God is honored. He's honored because their testimony is such that it glorifies God. Next to our relationship with God, the relationship between husband and wife is the most sacred one on earth. Uh, when I think about a husband and wife in love, I think about, I think about some words uh, that, that epitomize their relationship, words such as passion, respect, understanding, generosity, forbearance. So today, as, as God's children, let us examine our marital relationships and, and honor our wedding vows. Remember the, admoni- the admonition of Paul as inspired by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.25 when he wrote, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for you. And you think about that. Christ died for the church. He gave his life for the church. He loves the church. He, he strengthens the church. He, he, he glorifies the church in every way he can. But I always love to say, God had to tell, remind husbands to love their wives because, men, we aren't the greatest at expressing love. You notice he didn't say, he didn't have to tell wives to love their husbands because women naturally love. Women are, are loving creatures by nature. But not men. We're very mechanical. Well, I told her I loved her 25 years ago. How often do I have to tell her? I show her my love by, by paying the bills. Ooh, wow. That'll turn her head on Valentine's Day. Bring home a pile of paid bills and throw them on the table and say, Happy Valentine's Day, honey. No, we need, we need, to, we need to examine our relationships as husbands and wives. And if we have anything that, that is causing um, separation between us, we need to resolve it. We need, to, we need to get it out the way and take it. Remember, God will, God will not listen to your prayers as a husband and a wife if you are not at peace with each other, if you are not loving each other as he's commanded you to do. Because that's a picture. That's a picture of Christ in the church. And we're, we represent Christ in the church in our homes by the husband and the wife, and the husband lovingly caring for his wife and providing for her. Letter C, examine your relationships with your peers. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, we read, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now certainly we know that we're to love one another as brethren, uh, because Jesus told us in John chapter 13 that by this all men would know that we're the disciples of Christ by our love for one another. But more than just love the brethren and then stop there, we're to love all men, everyone. As pastor so eloquently taught in the, in the series on the Sermon on the Mount, every man is my neighbor, as illustrated by the Good Samaritan, the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, every man is my neighbor, and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. I think one of the shortcomings of the modern-day fundamentalists, whether he be Baptist or any other denomination, is their contempt for men. I 
was talking with a school mother years ago, and she was she was driving through a parking lot, she said, and had her daughter with her, and some woman was wearing a pair of shorts, and she said, I told my daughter, that woman is nothing more than a, and she used a bunch of words that I'm not going to repeat. And I thought to myself, that, that's a horrible thing to teach your child. Because you know what happens? We are to hate sin. Absolutely we're to hate sin. And you know, fundamentalists are really good at hating everybody's sins except their own. But we are to hate sin, but do you know we're not supposed to hate the sinner? Now, if you want to teach your children about a poor principle, then do that. Teach them, teach them about, about being modestly appareled and other things. But when you start pointing at people and when you start attaching names, you begin to build a person who has contempt for his fellow man, not love for his fellow man. This is not wise when we do this, and we become as foolish men. In Luke chapter 6, the Lord states, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Did you hear that? God is kind to even those who, who despise him, who hate him. Be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. We're to examine our relationships with those around us, our peers. Not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but your neighbor. The the person down the street that maybe you see them every day when you go out to check your mail. Everyone you see... We're to, we're to make sure that we have the right relationship with those people. So first today, I want to admonish you to examine your relationships. Then secondly, number two, we need to renew our commitments. Renew your commitments. You know, when you, when you get saved, you, it, it's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? I remember the Sunday morning when I, when I, when I got saved, when, when, I, when I received the Lord that morning, it felt like the whole world had been lifted off my shoulders. I felt great. I walked outside. The sky had never been so blue. The grass had never been so green. The birds had never sung so beautifully. My heart had been changed. My heart had been turned. Now I had a desire, and that desire was to, to, to serve the Lord. I made some promises that, that day. I made some commitments that morning. One of the commitments I made is that I would spend the rest of my life letting people know about Jesus. And the other commitment I made that morning was that I would never again allow man to deceive me concerning the truth of God. And every day of my life, I remind myself of those two commitments. We need to examine our commitments. We need to renew our commitments every day. Let me just share some thoughts with you here real quick. First, renew your commitments to your church. Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, wavering not, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and the good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It is important for us to remember that the church is not just some place where we meet, sing songs, give money, listen to preaching, and then go home. That's not what church is. 
The church is so much more than that. And I state to you today that God desires to do something wonderful in this world through his church, through the body. This is where God works today, is through the local church. And, and just this one assembly of the week is not, does not constitute church. Church is every day, all day long. Church should be in the center of your life. Everything you do should center and revolve around the church. You know, and I'm not trying to, to put myself up as an example, but once my wife and I became, were Christians, once we started going to church, we started deciding our activity schedule around church. I never allowed any of my children to participate in community sports. I never did. And the reason was because they would have to play ball games on church nights. They would have to play ball games on Wednesday nights. They would have to play ball games on Sunday. And I've had people that have really told me that I was wrong in that opinion. Well, maybe I am. But every activity we ever decide, we, didn't, we don't plan trips. When we take vacations, the only time we're not here on a Sunday for a vacation is when we're in Louisiana and, and we're in church there. But I used to take my vacations. We used to go to Disneyland. We'd leave at 2 a.m. on Monday morning. And we'd get back by 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, so we had time to rest for church on Sunday. Church has become a sideline in America. And God wants us, he doesn't just want us to simply gather together two or three hours a week. He wants us to be one all week long. He wants us to be one, united into one body. He wants us to work together in harmony to enhance and advance the lives of all those within the church. He wants the church to be the hub of our lives. You know, in the airport world, there's some hubs. Chicago is a hub. Atlanta is a hub. You can't fly, I heard someone once say, you can't fly anywhere in the world without passing through Atlanta. I don't know if that's true or not. But the church should be the hub of our lives. We should start with church and everything else should, should revolve around that. Schedule your life around church. Jesus died for the church. He sacrificed his own self. How dare we pay so little attention to the church how dare we put things ahead of it in our in our lives renew our commitments to the church and secondly renew our commitments to our marriage renew your commitment to your marriage solomon wrote in proverbs chapter 5 let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe let her breast satisfy thee at all times and thou shalt be ravished always with her love. Now, I will state it this morning without apology that America is in the shape it's in because of the breakdown of the home, because of the breakdown of the marriages and the family. The very first institution God established was that of the marriage, that of the home and the family. And perverted men, as they have since the dawn of time, have perverted their sexual desires and have destroyed the fabric of our society. God's plan and design in marriage was one man and one woman for life. Not two men, not two women. This, of course, uh, defies the course of nature. I mean, think about it. If homosexuality is natural, then how would we uh, propagate the species? 
Jesus said, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Well, you figure that math problem out. You're going to end up with no solution at the end. We need to renew our commitments to marriage. Matter of fact, let's try a little experiment right now. If you don't have a spouse, then don't, 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 don't look at the person next to you and say this. But, you know, if you do have your spouse with you, let's do this. Look at your spouse. Well, I lost my place. Oh, there I am. <laughs> look, your, look your spouse right in the eye right now and say, I love you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Say that. Okay. Now say... Now say this, I desire no one but you. Now, do that every day for the rest of your life, and your marriage will, will, will never fail. Do that every day for the rest of your life, and your marriage will never fail. You know the, the happiest marriage I've ever seen? The happiest marriage I've ever personally seen is that of my mother and my father. My father never leaves the house without kissing my mom and saying, I love you. Even if he was going three miles down the street to the store, he would, he would walk up to her, take her in his arms, he'd say, I love you, he'd kiss her, and he'd say, I'll be right back. My mother and father are the greatest example I could have ever had of a happy home. I had a, you know, sometimes people say, I, have a dis- I had a dysfunctional childhood, and I tell them I had a fully functional one. This is so important. This is what's destroying our nation. We have children today who, who, I see children in my classroom all the time, who, don't, who have no concept of normality. They have no concept of what life is really supposed to be like. Because if their mother and father isn't divorced, they're probably planning one. This is so important that we love, that we renew our commitment to our spouses every day. Quickly, I just got a couple of minutes left. Next, renew your commitment to your ministry. Therefore, he said, Luke chapter 10, Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Our motto here is every uh, saint a servant, every member a minister. And that's, that should be the focus of our life, should be to serve the Lord in our local church. You should have a part in this church. You should have something you do in, in this church because this is your body. And I want, I want every part of my body working. I don't want any of them taking vacation, especially the heart. Now, my daddy used to say my brain takes the day off all the time. I don't know if that's true or not. He used to tell me, son, your, your mouth wakes up an hour before your brain and the two never meet all day long. <laughs> daddy had such a way of putting things. It was just incredible. But in closing, real quickly, there are two myths I want, I want to address. Myth number one, uh, that ministry is for preachers only. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, the preacher's job is to preach and teach and to equip each one of us to serve, but we are to serve also. We are to have an active part in the ministry of the local church. Praise the Lord for people who are willing to come out and serve and do something and take responsibility, take ownership of a part of the church. Myth number two, 
the term full-time ministry. I don't have time to turn to it and read it. You can read it later in Acts chapter 2, but there's no such thing as part-time or full-time ministry. Now, I understand some people get a paycheck from the church. I understand that. But even if you get a, if you get a paycheck or not, we are all called into the ministry, every one of us. The moment you are saved, God has called you to be a minister of the gospel in your community. He's called you to be a witness. He's called you to teach your children. He's called you into his service. There is no full-time or part-time ministry. I had, I've had people come up to me and say, well, God has called me into the ministry of the Christian school education movement. Find that for me, would you? Can you find that for me? Because it doesn't exist. The only call I see in here is the call of the bishop, the call to, 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 run, to shepherd the church, the, the, pre, the preacher. All of us serve under the discretion of the preacher. The preacher sees someone with talent and goes to them and says, would you be willing to take on this job? But there is no call to the Christian school. There is no call to the bus ministry. There is no call to the youth ministry. This is man wanting to vaunt himself and his importance. We're, call, we're all called to serve. Period. We're not all called to preach. That's the only calling I see in here, the call unto salvation and the call unto preaching, unto the bishopship. The rest of us should just be content and happy to serve in our local church. I ran over a lot of stuff this morning because I just ran out of time. Those of you who know me best know that I know how to start, but I don't know how to stop. Just some food for thought. I pray that that God will use this simple message today to help us to make these commitments, to examine our life every day, look at all the things within our life. All right, we're going to go ahead. I'm going to shut up. We're going to take an eight-minute break. and.